Welcome to Rebels with a Purpose, powered by the voices of Catapult X, who are mobilizing capital, technology, people, and heart to solve the world's biggest challenges. In this podcast, we pose five questions to leaders who are changing the world and its systems. I'm your host, Kate Byrne, CEO of Catapult X. Innovation and leadership. It's been said that the street can be a great classroom. Well, what would happen if you took the entrepreneurial talent of street kids from Cartagena and placed them in conversation with Fortune 500 leadership? We'll find out from our rebel with a purpose, Arnold Raskin, co-founder of Streetwise. Arnold Raskin, Streetwise, what's up? So excited to see you. Hi, Kate. How are you doing? Uh, likewise, uh, happy to have this conversation with you and congrats with the five years of Catapult. Thank you so, so much. It is definitely an accomplishment. I will tell you what. And so much has changed in those five years. And a lot of that actually has to do with Rebels with Purpose like yourself. So before we kind of get into to the work and the, and the questions specifically that I want to dive into, I always think it's helpful and fascinating, frankly, to find out how a person got to where they are today, right? So would you yeah. share a little bit about your path and your journey getting there? Yeah, uh, happy to. For me, the, the track of getting into social entrepreneurship and sustainability and so on, it started when I was at design school. Uh, I studied a master's in industrial design and mainly to Got into a short story. I got fed up with designing soup landers and uh, fencing systems for balconies and uh, all kinds of, you know, consuming goods and started to ask myself, like, why the hell am I doing this? And it, there was a project where we had to design a disposable plastic teaspoon with a feature to squeeze the tea back, you know, when you lift it out of the tea to prevent you from dropping on the table. And yeah, in that project, it became crystal clear, you know, I was to say, like, what kind of problems am I trying to solve over here? And um, in those these days, um, I bumped into some people that worked with street youth in Colombia, in Cartagena de las Indias, the Caribbean northern, north Caribbean coast of Colombia. Um, and speaking with those people, you know, they, they, they told me about a community of 150 million kids that are living on the pavements of the metropolitan cities in the world. 150 million kids that cut it off every basic need you can think of. And that's when it happened, you know, when speaking with those people, I was thinking like me as a designer, instead of designing the next fancy system for a balcony, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring solutions to these kids. I'm going to design products that I can produce in series that I can roll out all over the world to impact street kids. And yeah, that's when street children became my main focus as a consuming group, actually, the, the, the clients I would like to work for. And yeah, that got me to Colombia um, to get to know the customer because one of the things you need to know when you're a designer is that you have to be an anthropologist. You have to, to connect with the people you design for. You need to understand them deeply. You need to empathize with them, uh, understand their frameworks and use that framework to design your stuff. Um, so I got to the streets to, to dive into street culture and completely fell in love with Colombia, but as well got completely amazed about, uh, the tremendous strength of those kids on the streets because everybody was seeing misery and problems on the streets. But I, yes, realized, uh, quite, quite fast. I got to the point that I understood, like, if I had to deal with those circumstances, for two days, I probably would be crying in a corner, you know, the fact yeah. that they survive 
two weeks, two months, two years on those streets means that they are resourceful. And instead of focusing on the problems, you know, I said, like, uh, let's focus on, on focus on that resourcefulness of those children and try to develop that. And that's how I got into social entrepreneurship. I, I designed mobile schools to work with these kids, uh, created a nonprofit organization, mobile school, started actually building these schools and bringing them to the streets. It's not a school. Eh? It's, it's actually a little box on wheels that you, you can pull into the streets. You can open it up and you actually... I'm bringing education to the pavements. That's actually what we do. So I've been doing that for about five, six, seven years, I guess. Then getting to a point where I understood that the model I was using was not right because we preach sustainable development. Eh? When we work with the kids on the streets, when there is a shoeshine boy, for example, that approaches the mobile school and he tells us like, hey, I, I, I'm starving, you know, I passed like three days without food. Can I get some money or can I get some food? We tell him like, no, we don't believe in giving fish. But what we can do is work with you to get your shoeshine business to the next level. We approach not as a needy kid, but as an entrepreneur. So we have a street business toolkit that's actually an MBA for street kids. It's everything you would do at business school, but then on the level of the shoeshine boy. And we offer this to the kid and we tell them like, hey, we can work with you to actually yeah, grow your business and become stronger. But in the end, I started realizing that I was telling kids in extreme poverty that they shouldn't ask for support, but that they should work on themselves to become self-sustainable. But my own economical model in the nonprofit was nothing else than subsidies and, and philanthropy. Mm. So I got to the point, I'm, I'm preaching a story that I'm not applying to myself. I'm not walking the talk. And, and one of the things I believe, if you want to become a system change leader or a change making leader, you need visionary ideas, but you need to walk the talk as well. You need to be what you what you preach and you have to be very strict on that one to yourselves and that's when we decided to to start fishing ourselves so next to the non-profit i created a for-profit that's streetwise and with streetwise we started actually earning money we created a business in education as well we started entered the market of executive training started building leadership trainings where we used the stuff that we learn on the streets the street smart and streetwise leadership and we brought that to companies and actually, all the profits we make with Street Mice, we reinvest that in the projects of uh, mobile school, the Street Smart, the social venture of what we do. So I've been, you know, a student entrepreneur, you know, discovering himself, then get into nonprofits um, and, and spend a while in the nonprofit. And then I understood, like, we need some business model innovation in that field as well, created a hybrid. And yeah, then having that hybrid, uh, at this point, we are like in full digital transformation as well, you know, on the social side and on the business side, mm -hmm. creating some tech tools that we can use, you know, ad tech tools where we actually can bend our, our social impact growth lines from linear to, to exponential, we hope. So uh, that's it. And I'm a father. I have a daughter of eight years old. I have a lovely wife and I have the best job in the world. <laughs> and I could go on for a while, I can't, but... Uh, no, I, so the thing I love about this story is that you went into a place and actually, like your audience, really, you saw huge potential as opposed to a pity party, uh, which means that you actually showed great respect for those kids and understanding that, wow, that you yourself could learn from it. Now, these kids, there are many entrepreneurs in their own right. What are some of the key takeaways that you saw in them that you think corporate America could frankly really learn from? 
I think what we did in Streetwise, just positioning this a bit, and what we did in Streetwise was we, we created a model, what it means to be Streetwise or Street Smart, and we did that by profiling the outperformers on the streets. So it's it's certainly not a story of romanticizing the streets. Eh? In the streets, there is lots of misery, and some of the kids, they do not survive. Now, let's be clear about this. So I'm not... I'm not ignoring that there is a big problem right but i believe that that trying to find the opportunity is the right way to tackle that problem and developing the opportunity so for the streetwise story what we did was we started looking at the outperformers i bumped into a guy in, in, in guatemala that survived by handing out leaflets of pizzerias to tourists and when he convinces the tourists to take that leaflet and go to the restaurant, um, the tourist has to take the leaflet to the owner of the place. His name is written on the leaflet. And at the end of the night, he walks in uh, and they count how many leaflets um, with his name on. So how many customers that he actually brought to the business. And he gets paid commission in, in coins or pizza. That's how he survives. The guy speaks 12 languages. You know, never has been in school. Picked it up on the street. And the question we asked ourselves is, not what is his talent, because clearly, you know, he has a tremendous talent for languages. But the question was, like, how the heck is he possible to develop that talent in those circumstances? Because everything works against him. There is no supportive system. So it's about mindset. It's, it's about the skill set. And the, the first thing that we found with these outperformers on the streets is the opportunity focus. Although they face, like, tremendous rough situations, uncertainty, uh, crisis, high competitiveness they manage to focus on the opportunity. They don't spend time in, in complaining about what others should do differently, but they focus on what can, what can I do to make it happen? And only this thing, you know, I need to find the first business where sales is not blaming production that they're not producing what we can sell in market and production is blaming sales that they're not selling what we produce in the factory. And we just point at each other. And those outperformers on the streets, they have plenty of reasons to complain. But they just understood that it's never, ever a good idea to take the position of the victim. And they stay out of that role and they take the opportunity focus. That's the first one. The second one is they're very agile and resilient. And the agility and the resilience of those kids comes from the winners. Huh? It comes from their roots, actually. They know who they are. They have a dream. Most of these kids that are outperforming, they know where they want to go. That's mainly the problem with lots of kids that they not got to that point of having that ambition for the future. So it's uh, connecting with your talents. It, it's knowing your weaknesses. It's being able as well to build networks. They feel belonging in a, in a certain context, actually. They find belonging in that street culture. And they, they are able to build a network of healthy relationships on the street. It's about values as well. They're quite value-driven as well, the outperformers on the street. So you see that it's, it's like one of these boxing sacks. You know the boxing sacks for training? Like a plastic bottom, you know, where you have to put water or sand in to yeah. put weight at the bottom and then the spring is taking a ball. If you don't put water in the bottom and you hit the thing, it's going to fly in all directions. But when there is weight at the bottom, when the thing is grounded and you hit it, you know, it's going to go down and it kicks back. And that's actually what happens with these outperforming kids as well on the streets. You know, they, they are rooted. And that's one of the main things we work on with mobile school, with the kids that are not outperforming on the streets, we're really working on these roots, really helping them to find and discover their strengths, uh, find and discover their talents, um, learn the skills, how to interact with people, build relationships with people, build a network uh, and so on. So 
it's uh, positive focus, agility, resilience, then there is a no-brainer creativity, of course. That's a very important one, you know, accept failure as well, you know, being able to take risks, but the willingness as well to take the consequences. And I see this in Europe mainly, you know, people want to take risks, but when it goes wrong, we want the system actually to take care of the problems. And, 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 and there is not that much willingness to actually deal with the consequences of failure. And the fourth one, we call it cooperative competition. The ability to compete, but as well the ability to cooperate. And yeah. mainly, and this is key, you know those two skills, you master those two skills. But the most important thing is knowing when you play which card, when it's about competition and when it's about cooperation, really managing this. Those are four of the key skills that we picked up on the street that we took to the businesses with the understanding of mobile school or the vision or the philosophy of mobile school, which is that we believe that every single person can contribute to the solutions, to the next step. The only criteria that needs to be fulfilled is that people have to be empowered. People need to feel relevant. And we see this in the corporate world, uh, that there are many people that are just in jobs, you know, being a number, not feeling empowered, not being in their strength. And I think there is a lot for companies to learn from social enterprises as ours. Well, I totally agree. There are so many people that sadly are asleep at the wheel. And your whole positioning is very akin to a catapult, right? So catapult X, we believe every person is a change maker and every business can be a force for good. But you have to be game. You have to be willing to make that commitment and then see it all the way through. And as you just said, you know, take a look at the feedback, respond accordingly, you know, pull up your big boy and big girl panties and, and face the music, right? And really do whatever kind of changes that you need to make. Really where I see you and where you've really driven a lot of changes in education, right? And kind of revamping and also just corporate education as well and business models, et cetera. So what have been some of the biggest surprises you've seen over the last five years in that realm? I think if I can take it to the nonprofit side of what we do, sure. um, it's not a big surprise for me because I'm, I'm fighting for this from ever I started in the late 90s with what we're doing. But I, I feel that in the last uh, five years, there is a shift and we're just really hopeful. And that's that the narrative of many, many nonprofits that work with people in poverty is changing from the focus on the problems and the misery to the opportunity of those people, the, the strength of these people. Often the marketing and the fundraisers that were used by NGOs were just confirming the fact that these needy people never would be able to bring any added value to society unless we would pay for them big time. And and what we see is, you know, we've been fighting for this from the, the late 90s. Eh? Stop talking about 150 million needy kids there are like 150 million talents, untapped talents, that can be a great and a fantastic opportunity for society. And what I've seen happening in the past five years is that actually there is a change in actually approaching poverty, I believe. And, and that narrative is changing. And, and that's really hopeful. That's just one of the things that actually I, I was waiting for to start shifting and that really is shifting now. You know, one of the things I think there is, you know, so going, moving beyond the bloated bellies of children who can't feed and can't help themselves and, oh, whoa, are they poor victims. But it's also then the fact that nonprofits are recognizing, gosh, my job is really to be, frankly, one day I should be out of business. 
because yeah, I don't have work, right? That, that's my goal. It's like a parent. <laughs> my goal is to get the child independent and off into the universe, right? Um, from a successful way. And then the beauty of that is that it also means that the nonprofits are going to be more, frankly, functioning and organizationally yeah, themselves yeah. more grounded and more sound. So it shifts an entire ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, of course, because the problem focus was mainly driven by how fundraising works eh? and actually going for the emotion of people and then fundraising and actually earning the money actually becomes the, the driver of, of the strategies that you develop. Uh, I can tell you when I told my board of directors, the, the board of a nonprofit in 2007, we're going to stop being an NGO. We're going to build a business, make profits and actually self-sustain the organization. Everybody was telling me, like, you're crazy. You know, we can't do this. We're putting the organization at risk. But I told them like, yeah, but, but it's not the mission of the organization to, to keep on existing. The organization is just a vehicle that we've created to have impact on those kids. And I told my board, you know, like, even if we have to take that risk, even if we would crash, we will be more relevant because people will learn out of our failure. And that will be more relevant than being the next NGO using the same old model. But the purpose, the mission has to be the driver. And, and that's a big problem, I think. I had some discussions as well within Ashoka. I'm an Ashoka fellow about the risk of mission drift. And in Ashoka, yeah. there is some tendency as well to look at hybrids and, and for-profit social impact companies like, oh, the risk of mission drift is much higher. I'm always telling them, like, you don't want to feed all the non-profits with mission drift. I think the risk on both sides is the same. It's about the leadership in those organizations um, that really can safeguard those missions and actually the culture in those organizations. Yeah, I, I have long been a fan of the hybrid model, just for loads of reasons, right? For the for-profit the side, it keeps, to me, it keeps the heart center. For the non-profit, it keeps business acumen in place. To me, that system, that flywheel spinning is just a, a natural, frankly, duh to me. Yeah, it's, because it's, Kate, if, if I can interrupt, uh, the way that we organize society right now, we have four profits that go for, for uh, shareholder value. It's economics. And actually, yeah. most of them compromise on social and environmental. Then they're taxed by government. And then subsidies are lifted to the nonprofit that, that tries to correct the problems that are made over there. But the nonprofit is not taking economical responsibility. It's a completely inefficient system. So I'm dreaming of a world where we have one type of organizations. It's, it's just every organization takes responsibility on social, on environmental, and on economical. And I think that we have a sustainable model. I agree. Every organization becomes an impact citizen in and of itself, because it, in fact, is a dynamic organization. That's certainly how I look at it. That's comprised of all the different individuals within it. With all of that, though, what didn't happen that you thought was going to? And then what happened sooner than you thought it was going to, either in this model and or in education? What didn't happen yet, or not fast enough for me? Yeah. It's actually that transformation from shareholder value to stakeholder value, this transformation from CSR to shareholder. You know, there is a big hype on social entrepreneurship and purpose-driven organizations, and that's very promising. Eh? I, I, with Streetwise, we bump into lots of people in big corporates that really, really are eager to transform those organizations. But still, there is that macroeconomical model that always pulls us back. So 
getting to the point of reaching a systemical shift in in that economical model i think that's what we definitely and urgently need and that something i'm waiting for and hasn't happened yet uh and there's promising stuff but i'm, I'm just afraid for bubbles and hypes you know that that will implode at a certain moment as well i know what you mean it's this is money is a good thing i mean it really yeah, can be yeah. and we ought to look at it as such and i think there's a lack of trust in money and or of mm -hmm. course it's really maybe not the money itself but the people behind it and so if there would be a way which programs like yours actually go in and help starting to have people tap into as you went through early days in your career wow why am i doing this why am i solving first world problems like a tea bag smusher when there's much bigger issues taking place right outside my window yeah, and you see that the young people, the, the new generation, they're really sensitive for these things. But in the end, you know, I, it's really a difference in between, you know, being sensitive and really taking the move and, and, and taking the step into, it's a compromise. Eh? You know, when I started with mobile school as a student entrepreneur, it was saving all the money that I earned with my student shops to buy a ticket to go to Colombia and work on my project. And it was saying no to my friends that went for a short ski to the Alps. It's sacrificing as well. And it's yes. it's actually as well redefining where you find happiness and where you find fulfillment in, in your life. And I think what we like is the capacity to, to self-reflect, I think, to actually get people into processes where they find and, and see opportunities of what they could achieve in leaving marks on this planet actually and and marks that are actually positive marks on the planet yeah and maybe I'm, I'm a bit <laughs> no i i couldn't agree more it's i think you're right it's um or i agree it's it's also redefining how do we redefine success how do we redefine value how do we redefine yeah. um profit um what are the metrics and how do we measure what shifted in the care economy, right, which is something a lot of people are talking about, there's a whole slew of milestones that one can hit that shifts mm -hmm. from everything. I know you have a passion for education, and there's so many people that think, oh my gosh, we've got to do and, and practice, you know, the rich and shiny, what's new? And so often we forget the early day teachings, the early day practices, and some of it, you know, it's kind of like, what's old is new again. Do you find that to be true in, in education? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more because, you know, one of the things we work a lot on with Streetwise as well is the complexity bias. Right? The, the, the tendency we have as humans to go for the more complex solutions. And, and that brings you always to, to more complexity, actually, while often having the capacity to make things simple and to go to the basics is, is so so fundamental there's so many companies that suffer that urge of getting more complex and it's more important when it's complex you know like uh going right. to the the basics you know like when i was in cartagena um in in 96 I, I didn't really spoke a lot of spanish so i needed to work on my spanish and working with the kids you know being a young designer looking for a uh, an opportunity to develop a product for the kids which became the mobile school i already found out that education was where i had to be but I wanted to pick up Spanish. And at Sunday uh, morning, if there are Colombians listening to this and they know Cartagena, there is El Torre del Reloj at the colonial wall in Cartagena. 
and Sunday morning they have a, a second-hand book market over there. And I was walking that book market and I was like screening the books and suddenly I saw a book and it said like pedagogy. It was in English. No, it was the book was in Spanish actually. It was the pedagogy of the oppressed of Paulo Freire. But I didn't hmm. know about Paulo Freire. I didn't know about the book, but it said like uh, pedagogy and I thought like, hey, maybe I should buy that book, try to understand it. Uh, I buy that book, I try to understand it with my dictionary, and that's how I pick up Spanish. And And it's about education, so meanwhile I learned, maybe I learned something about education. Yeah, and that book became my Bible. It has been published in 68, and it's actually, yeah, the pedagogy of the oppressed. It's how to work with the, the oppressed people. And, and that's where I actually got the insights of when you want to give wings to people, when you want them to fly, you know, the first condition is that they feel relevant, that they are empowered. And, and actually, that's what we do at Mobile School. And I think today, last summer, you know, when the statistics of the COVID pandemic brought us to the point where we had like about 10 million casualties of the virus, there was a report of UNICEF already declaring that probably because of, you know, there were like one and a half billion kids that stayed out of school because of the pandemic, that there would be at least 10 million of those kids that never ever would go back to school again. So that was like the equal number of the people that died because of the virus. And of course, that's really horrible that those people died because of COVID. But most of those people were elderly people and so on. So I don't want to, you know, it's, 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 it's bad that those people died. But meanwhile, you know, we just cut it off the educational uh, opportunities of, of an equal amount of kids, you know, that never will ever go to school again. And, and nobody is busy with this, you know, They're, the left behinds in COVID, you know, the, the impact of the measures we took dealing with the virus is creating a, a big, tremendous gap in between the haves and the not-haves. And we, we have people, you know, that are working in the projects in Latin America, they speak about, you know, we're smashed back like 20 years in time huh, in the social world. Communities on the streets are doubling. So many of these kids in many of the countries where we work haven't been in schools in, in the past year, and there is no plan to get back to school. So actually reaching out to these kids with the fundamentals of education, building non-formal educational systems, reaching out to them in the neighborhoods, in the streets, go with youth workers to find them and actually organize yourself to, to empower those kids and find ways to, to get them reconnected with the system is fundamental because these kids are a potential for society. But if we're not able to actually include them in the positive side of society, they're going to be recruited by the negative forces in society. They get into criminality. They get into extremism. Many of these guys over here in Brussels, I'm calling in from Belgium, many of the kids that went to fight with ISIS in Syria, they just were recruited because of, you know, it's kids out of social building blocks, not feeling belonging in the family, not feeling love and cared in the family. Then they're in the formal educational system where it's only about skills and competencies. Nobody sees the fact that they are hurt because of the family situation. So they get like, you know, the, the stigma of being the difficult kids and the stupid ones. So they don't feel belonging in the formal educational system. So what do they do? They, they skip school. They drop out. They hang around on the streets and they look for belongingness on the streets. And then ISIS comes and tells them, with us, you're going to be important. With us, you're going to have a role of importance. You're going to be in the history books. So easy to pull them in. So we, we have to. We, everybody has to be part of the solution. When we leave people behind, they're going to be against us. They're going to work against us. And, and then we can blame them. But, you know, it's the problem of society, having the incapacity to involve them, to include them in the systems.
you know, when you speak about um, street kids, of course, and people in extreme poverty, that's a problem. But there is a problem as well with all the, the technology. And I see like a big range of people, working class people that, that had their role in society, working in the factories and stuff. We're not giving them any perspective anymore. Those people, they feel forgotten. They're like, like, what the heck, you know, robots and, and everything is coming up to us. What about us? What are we going to do? And then, and then we're speaking about re-educating people and, and people have to be agile and they have to transform. But, you know, they need a story and they need leadership that actually understands their worries and, and is able to, to reconnect them. And we, you know, in designing all these new technologies, we have to take an account that we have to build them for the people, you know, for the planet, for everybody. And there is a kind of a speed as well in developing new technology and there is a kind of a, um you know the digital transformation and we have to go bigger and faster and and but we're we're missing out people so sometimes we need to control the thing again because if you miss them out you know you, you put democracy at at risk as well those people they they just drift off and you get like polarization in society look what happened in the us uh, a few months ago Look at look at what is happening in Europe. It's happening everywhere in the world. So it's about including. And if we want to solve world's problems, if you talk about climate change, it's about education. When people are not empowered and educated, they're not going to care about the rubbish and, and, and energy consumption and so on. We need to educate people. We need to, to empower people. And I think when we do that, a whole host of new opportunities comes because they know their world. And to your point, a lot of them already have they're budding entrepreneurs in, in the making. They just need to have someone shine a light on something. And then they can, because yeah. of that oppor yeah. innate opportunity oriented, some more than others, mindset that can, that can really help redirect. I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Are Streetwise alum, are, do they work with you or for you? Or are they part of your team? Um, how does that work? Are there some that actually come into the fold as it were? Yeah, I, actually, we do leadership programs where we immersive experience-based leadership programs where we get like people of companies and we bring them into the streets and the leadership okay. development happens on the streets. And actually, it's an experience because we give the, the people in the leadership program, they get like a, a, a task. They have to de develop an educational tool for the mobile school. But of course, if you want to develop an educational tool for mobile school, you need to get connected with the customers. You need to understand the street kids. You need some skills, leadership skills, actually, to tap into that community and use those skills, actually, to deliver. And then go and test your material that you've created as well with, with the target group. So we do these programs in the streets. We do programs as well here in Belgium in youth detention centers where we actually tell these people in companies, you have no clue about what is happening on the streets, but there are some kids locked up in these youth prisons. And they know what is happening on the on the squares and in the neighborhoods and the streets. So what you're going to do is you're going to team up with some youth criminals and you're going to go through a process of a few days with those youth uh, offenders. And and it's a process where the, the business people, you train their empathy. Actually, empathy has a hard skill. You know, you train some some of these, these missing skills and leadership. But these kids, these youth offenders that are always pointed as a problem, the criminal by the judges, their parents, the, the educators, the social workers, suddenly... There are some high potential leaders of Coca-Cola coming in and they tell them like, we need you. We need you. We, we have a problem and we can't solve it without you. So you take them from the seat of being the difficult uh, loser and you put them in the seat of, of a valuable resource. And there are some top people of business that tell them like, I need you. And I'm willing 
to adapt my thinking to understand you because I believe that you have something to offer. That's what we create. And the leader grows and the kids grow. So we, we made films that we use in training as well. There are some, like Juniette, one of the girls uh, I bumped into 15 years ago on the streets, and a, a tremendous natural-born leader. Right now, actually, at this same moment, she's delivering a leadership program for us to Burning Ringelheim. She became a streetwise coach, and she's training some high potentials of a pharmaceutical company. So, yeah, we, we involve the kids. And when we use their stories, because we use a lot of videos as well of the kids, when we use their stories... Every single time when we use their stories in a commercial deal, you know, they get paid a royalty. And we help them oh, to spend yeah. that money in a right, right. way to, to get their own development process. So so they're part of our business. It's it's in that way. You know, I tell them on the streets at the mobile schools, I believe in you. You have something to offer, you have something to give. You can you can be positive. But I prove it to them as well, because together we create a model as well where we are able to, to make profits, to reinvest in more kids on the streets. We do it together. So it's actually showing them that they matter, even in, in the big economical system and model. I love hearing that, because then that kind of behavior actually shifts what we were talking about before with COVID and cutting off the education, that has incredible detrimental results, right? On a generational yeah. level. But this kind of thing, same thing, alternatively, also has a generational, right? So all of a sudden you have, you have women who are teaching and becoming leaders. And so that just shifts the mindset of everyone. And then everyone's world gets so much bigger and that world of potential and that limitlessness has a, a, a chance of, of shining through, I think. So what do you think is a reality now, today, and it won't be five years from now? It's a difficult one because I don't want to go into technology and so on. Of course, there's some stuff that is going to happen on that side, and we're working on that as well, building our apps and stuff. But something that I believe that will be completely shifted and changed in five years, and actually maybe it's more a dream than a belief, that I hope that will be new in five years is the concept on how we define leadership. I think we mm. need to we need to get to the the next level in we need innovation in leadership development. We need to to define what is the new leadership that we need in society. I believe as well that there is a, a democratization of leadership. Everybody can buy an MBA online right now. Uh, people have access to information. People in extreme poor countries, they have access to internet. They see the opportunities in the West. They just come and, and, and try to find their opportunities. You know, people have that. Like, there is a democratization of leadership where people decide for themselves what they're going to do. And in, in companies and organizations, it's the same thing. And we, we are used to organize society with hierarchical leadership, you know, where people just got like respect because of the role they have and stuff. And I, I think that's over. We need to go to a new model where leadership is in everybody. And we have to acknowledge that in organizations. We have to, to acknowledge this in society as well and build systems that are able to, to manage that all-level leadership, actually. Um, in, in our streetwise model, you know, when we work purposes on the top, then we have like the whole street smart mentality and leadership is at the bottom. Leadership is not at the top. Leadership is at the bottom. That's where it starts. Interesting, because that's the foundation. Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. So I hope and I, I, I believe that we're going to go through a, a transformation of leadership. I think as well in the new kind of companies and organizations that are emerging, the new ways of 
of financing organizations as well, I think I think there will be a big shift. You see it as well, you know, if you look at political leadership, people just don't accept it anymore. And then we can blame the people, but it's it's really the self-reflection of the political leader. Like, what means leadership in this decade? What does it have to be? And, and this is exactly one of the reasons why we wanted to start this whole series was this notion that all these systems are broken. So who are the people like yourself who are actively in there, sleeves rolled up, trying to figure out, okay, here's here's a way we could fix it. Here's a way we could fix it. Here's a way. And I would say, which I adore about each of you is one of the things, traits that you all have is there's such a, a belief. And I think there's a resolve that you're going to get it done. Yeah. And I think, you know, Kate, that's one of the things I'm always telling people, you know, the tremendous opportunity of naivety. We need to believe that we can solve the problems. You know, it's so easy to get depressed if you look at climate, but we need to believe that we can deal with it. And that can be really naive, you know, sometimes. And that's why it's quashed by many people. But you need to combine that, that dream, that naive dream. That big dream, you need to combine it with performance management. That's why when we speak about purpose in organizations, we're not speaking about purpose and inclusion and purpose. We speak about purpose and performance. It's it's actually being performant, but with the focus on that naive goal we, we try to achieve, you know, the big dream. And of course, bringing it back to leadership, what you need over there is collaborative leadership. You know, I won't be able to change the world. You know, I never will be on stage, you know, receiving the medals, the gold medal of being the big change maker that made it happen. You know, no, right. I, I, I can be part of the movement that creates a wave that changes society, but there won't be credits for me. And I need to accept that. We need to control our egos. And I, it's, a, it's a difficult thing. I can, I can tell you for first line experience, huh? but we need to start controlling <laughs> those those. Those egos, it's not about me. It, when I was starting, you know, I was like the, the model school kid, you know, I was a young 20 year and, and they came and filmed us and documentaries and, and you know, and, and as well in social entrepreneurship, you know, the, the hero social entrepreneur, you know, we're actually presented on stage and we do our keynote speeches and, and they bring us to the most fancy, you know, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about the impact. That's where we need to go. I think the, the collaborative leadership and the, the, the willingness to, and the acceptance that if we all control the ego and we all believe in that naive big dream, the transformation that we need, and we go for it, I think that's the way of, of really getting to the point where it builds over the system. I totally agree with that notion of situation humility, where you realize, okay, this is so much bigger and not I alone can't do it. My company alone can't do it. You know, my country alone can't do it. It's going to take everybody really linking arms and and frankly, owning up that I'm really good at this, mm -hmm. you're really good at this, so I'm going to do this, you do this, together we're going to do this, and so on and so on. And I think uh, allowing that to happen and just, and that's me being naive and I admit it, I always have been. But I think there's hope there. There's a definite possibility. So with that in mind, what are the three things that you think you want people to really think about? the most important topics of the day and it can be it can run the gamut it, it could be education it could be oh my gosh we've got to fix you know political systems and policies it could be you pick mm -hmm. food deserts i mean really yeah i think i'm getting back to the tremendous gap 
that the pandemic is confronting us with and people are not giving attention to this at this point you know everybody is still trying to survive that pandemic i think we and definitely you know our governments and stuff they they need to to start realizing what is happening and, and build strategies on getting those people that are left behind you know actually uh, reconnecting them and creating solutions for them so i think i think this is this is tremendously important i think the second thing is the speed of innovation and, 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 and new technologies coming up and the big part of society that actually believes that there's not going to be a role for them anymore uh, we need to build a story for them we need to think about you know what is going to be their role and what does that mean and and how can we actually bring those stories to these people and actually consider it even in the design of technology that we we have to include everybody you know like if you if you build systems in society where like 80% of people are left out, you know, you're going to get war. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be a disaster. So the smart developer needs to, to take people in account and understand that we have to, to get these people uh, with us or uh, onboarded or boarded. And the third thing, yeah. Can I go back to the point of, yeah, we can, we have to believe that we can do it. Although there is maybe still a majority of people that doesn't care yet, but we have to be self-confident. We have to see naivety as a, as a strength on the mm -hmm. condition that we combine it with, with performance and good strategies actually in making it happen, you know, like, but we need to do that. And I think, I think one of the, the important things as well to understand that most people are well-intentioned. You know, often when there is a conflict with people, there is a good reason why. And if you master empathy, you can understand why, and then you can solve it. But what we do too often is actually just blame the people as the difficult ones or the, the stupid ones or the, 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 the enemy or whatever. You know, most people are well-intentioned. And I think we, we need to start realizing this again. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, my bet is, if I were to say, what's your call to action to people? I think it would be believe, right? Absolutely. Believe. Because the good news is uh, that the people are not the problem. It's the micro system that actually got like a self-controlling dynamic. That's the problem. And, and that's something that we, we have to solve. But the people are well-intentioned. The people are not the problem. They're just part of that system. And we need to find a, a way out to, to break that system and, and redesign the systems, I think. And I think redesigning it together with those people. Yeah. Because otherwise, we're just going to come right back in and do what Absolutely. It, what we talked yeah. about at the beginning, right? Where the nonprofits are coming in and everyone's talking about a victim and everyone's, you yeah. know, that old victim story, which which doesn't help any of us. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a thing. The, the kids we work with, uh, you know, like there are many of these kids that are talented entrepreneurs. And if we're not able to see the opportunity and offer them a hand, they're going to be entrepreneurial, but probably it's going to be a narcotics. Probably they're going to sell drugs or whatever. You know, they're going to sell something wrong. You know, and, and what we need to do, that's that's what I was telling. That was the first street skill, you know. Not, not telling yeah. people what others should do. We need to think about what can we do better to include those people. We're part of the missing out of those people. And, and it's mainly the problem, certainly when you work with people in, in, in extreme poverty, it's often... The biggest problem is our inability to truly connect with them, to truly respect yeah. them, to not personalize poverty in the individual. People 
are not the problem. It's the context often, and and it's it's by the personalization of, of poverty in those people. They get stigmatized, they get disempowered, they get smashed down, and of course their self esteem gets completely damaged and and they get lost in. We need to empower the people. Yeah. Exactly. We need to see the person as opposed to the persona. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's the right way oh of God. expressing it in English, I guess. <laughs> I'm yeah, trying with I, I my. Think. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I just had a, a training with some people in Spanish, and my mother tongue is, is Dutch, is Flemish. So when I'm in between those languages, I'm, I'm uh, every once in a while I get like completely. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I learned Spanish on the streets, you know, like I'm, I'm a street. Uh, a street educated guy so uh <laughs> i don't know how you do it you know that uh, maybe one one little anecdote that i want to tell you the concept yeah. of mobile school actually i i saw the the light because of not speaking spanish eh? i told you like the book that that i found on the streets yeah. Eh? Yeah. the, the polo Freire book and eh? the the yes. the education of the the oppressed the pedagogy of the oppressed and and every change maker leader should have that in his in his library i believe so if you don't have it please please buy it uh, go and find it and read it um so that book but on the other hand you know because of my crappy spanish i couldn't interact with the street kit and and at a certain moment i got like completely frustrated of being in the observer role so i needed to find a creative solution to be able to interact with the kids so what i did was i bought one of these school booklets you know like uh, i bought one of those mm -hmm. Took it to the street right. and I bumped into Julian. I'll never forget. Like Julian was a, a twelve-year-old, thirteen-year-old street boy. Uh, you know, typical worn-out t-shirt, grayish t-shirt that had been white one day. You know, sniffing glue, barefooted. He had like a big scar on his hat, which was the consequence of a night in a porch of a shop, and the shop owner didn't like the fact that street kids were using the porch as a as a hotel, and they threw boiling water on the kids, so he got burned on his hat. You know, yeah. So he had this backpack with trauma, typical street kid. And I bumped into Julian and I told him, like, Julian, mi español, muy mal. And he looked at me and he confirmed, like, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, your Spanish is crap. <laughs> so I asked him, like, Julian, tú, mi profesor, do you want to become my Spanish teacher? And I, 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 I still remember it as, as if it happened today. You know, he first looked at me like, what the hell are you asking me? Because he was certainly not used to that kind of questions. And then I, uh, he, he said, like, see, sí, porque no, why not? So so I told him, like, hey, come on. And so I settled on the pavement with him on a carton board. I took my booklet and I started drawing. And I drew a house, a bird, and a tree. And I asked, Julian, ¿qué es eso? What is this? So he started driving. He wrote casa, árbol, pájaro. Um, so he gave it back to me. I tried to pronounce it, to read it out loud. He, he had a good laugh with my bad Spanish. Uh, you know, I made more drawings. <laughs> and I, I, we worked for more than an hour. He was sitting next to me. What I noticed in the normal street education, these kids were up and down and all around sniffing glue, you know, fighting with each other. If we had like two or three kids that were focusing on on an educational activity for five minutes, it was a big achievement. And then suddenly Julian was next to me writing words for over an hour. So that night I went home very self-fulfilled in the idea that I was a very gifted youth worker or street educator. The next morning, <laughs> next morning, I found out that it had nothing to do with my skills. So I got back to the streets with my booklet, but Julian was not around. So at first I was quite disappointed, but then I asked another kid, do you want to be my Spanish teacher? And that kid accepted as well. So I did the same stuff, worked fine again for about half an hour. And then it went wrong big time because Julian arrived and he saw me sitting with the other kid. 
And he claimed this position back and he said, like, you're so professor the Arnold, like, damn, I'm a Spanish teacher. And he picked a fight with the other kids. And when I was trying to separate those guys, I understood what happened. And what happened was that because of my inability to speak proper Spanish, I created a relationship with Julian in a complete different way than the way that he was always related with people. He was always approached as the needy one, the patient, the learning subject that needed guidance and needed leadership. And because of my disability, not being able to speak Spanish, I actually created a relationship with him where from the very first second, I proved to the kid that he was relevant to me, that he could create added value to me. So what I did without knowing it was I empowered the kid in the relationship that I created with him. And that's why he got wings. And it was not like the double of time that he could focus. It was exponential. And that's where I saw, like, this is what we need to do. We need to show, to show those people that they can be part of the solutions, that they can create added value, that they can give unique contributions to society. And then they get wings. Believe me, then they get wings. That's what we see happening on the streets. So the situation of not being able to speak languages in a proper way really got me to the point of seeing the opportunities. So you now with the Paulo Freire book, with Julian that became my teacher, it's actually in that way that we developed the concept, the concept of mobile school. Yeah. Well, it's true. I love that story. And it's such a great um, reminder of shifting power dynamics and realizing that they exist even when, when you don't think that they do. Mm. And so giving somebody else the opportunity to lead, right? And you lead from the field by giving them the primary leadership role and then back and forth and back and forth. And then it's more a flow and it's an exchange. And then we can talk about that very collaborative leadership that you referred to Absolutely. earlier. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, Arnold Raskin, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for uh, sharing your pearls with Rebels with Purpose. And uh, I can't wait to see what, what happens next. And frankly, nothing would make me happier than see a streetwise kid, educated kid, be a CEO of a unicorn, a streetwise unicorn one day. That would be It'll fantastic. Happen. That would be fantastic. I think sooner than later. And even a Fortune 500 to boot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Maybe they are already, yeah? some of them, some of these entrepreneurs actually are very streetwise and many of the visionary people leadership yeah. people and entrepreneurs they they didn't have like really easy track record so so being challenged in life is a, is an opportunity okay that was my honor actually uh i'm, I'm a fan of catapult uh, uh i'm proud to be part of the community and uh i feel very flattered to to uh, actually share my story with you so thank you uh, for uh, your interest well we'll get it out there as much as often and as possibly that we can but thank you so much. And for all of you listening, let's hear your rebel yell. How can you help? What's your purpose? And get to it. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thanks. This is Kate Byrne with Catapult X. Thanks for downloading our podcast, Rebels with a Purpose, available wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for our next conversation with Jamie Arbeeb, co-founder of Rethinks where we'll dive into our need to unlearn so that we can save the planet. If you like what you hear in this series, join us in person at our upcoming Future Fest event. Yep, we're back in Oslo, Norway, May 18th through the 21st, 2022.